0: Hey, Life safe friends, we are back in North America. You know, we went to Africa with the hopes of getting to the last place on earth where the truth on the family is still respected. We were there where sexual morality is under fierce attack from the West, which is trying to force the poorest of the poor in line with the woke agenda. We visited Uganda and Kenya, where Christians form the majority of the population where the spiritual leadership stands strong in its defense of the traditional family values, and where the government, too, recognizes the harm to society from contravening God's design for human sexuality. So when we went to Africa, it was just as Pope Francis was suggesting that the African bishops need a conversion on the matter of anti-sodomy laws. He suggested that the laws involve the death penalty and that it is there a crime to have homosexual tendencies. That is, of course, not the case. I spoke with legal experts about the laws around homosexuality there, but I got to one legal expert, one lawyer, who's one of the most impressive lawyers that I've ever met. I guarantee you that you are about to learn a ton In this next interview, you will learn not only the actual law in Africa, but also their origin and the philosophical roots of the loss in the West of the war against the family. This is the interview Pope Francis should have had before commenting on anti-sodomy laws and the need of the African bishops to convert. This is the John Henry Weston Show. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Do you want to dive deeper into your Catholic faith? Well then, I have the perfect app for you. It's the iCatholic Radio app. It was created by Stations of the Cross Media Network. The iCatholic Radio app features some of the most encouraging Catholic voices in the church to address your concerns, your faith, and your family needs. Whether it's current events, news and issues, classic Mother Angelica podcasts, discussions about Catholic piety or daily guidance from LifeSite's own Mother Miriam, the iCatholic Radio app has a podcast or live radio program just for you. The iCatholic Radio app is available from the Apple or Google Play app stores, integrated with popular social media platforms, and easily installs on your mobile device. Strengthen your faith and download the iCatholic Radio app today. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, last week, we showed you the strong stance of the African bishops, standing firm in support of legislation protecting the family, in support of anti-sodomy laws. They are ready, they said, to suffer, even martyrdom, to hold true to God's truth on the family. Take a look.
1: Light the world, salt of the earth. If we are tasteless as a church, where do we go? We must have the taste, attract people. Even if it means martyrdom, that we be ready and firm to stand for it.
0: They know that they face the superpowers of the world and are ready to stick to the truth come what may, persecution and even death. But the pressure from heretical factions in the church is also strong. And I truly wondered when I went there if they would be able to survive that combined pressure of the state and the church. And I was assured that indeed they would. First off, I was told that 95% of the people in the pews fully support the pro-family teachings and legislation. And our gracious host in Africa reminded me too that the Anglican bishops in Africa. Have withstood the same kind of pressure from the Anglican leadership in the West to cave in on homosexuality. And they have there in Africa nevertheless stood firm for the last 30 years. I spoke also with school officials and pro life activists in Africa, both about the LGBT agenda being pushed and what they are doing to fight it. Stay tuned for that in a future episode. But before we get there, I just had to address the interview that pope francis gave while leaving africa where he did that joint press conference with the bishops who lead the pro lgbt churches of england and the church of scotland during that in flight press conference pope francis actually suggested believe it or not that pope benedict the 16th supported pope francis's uh, take on homosexual civil unions however I can assure you from Benedict's own writings that it is clear that Pope Benedict opposed homosexual civil unions, as does the Church. In 2003, the Vatican document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, And this is from Pope Benedict, while he was still Cardinal under Pope John Paul II. He was the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, and the congregation released a document in 2003 called Considerations Regarding Proposals to Give Legal Recognition to Unions Between Homosexual Persons. And I'll quote from that document to show exactly what the mind of Pope Benedict, of Cardinal Ratzinger, was on this question. And the document reads, and I quote, When legislation in favor of the recognition of homosexual unions is proposed for the first time in a legislative assembly, the Catholic lawmaker has a moral duty to express his opposition clearly and publicly and to vote against it. The document continues, To vote in favor of a law so harmful to the common good is gravely immoral, end quote. As we know, gravely immoral means a mortal sin. Now, this is interesting because the document was approved by St. Pope John Paul II and ordered published. You know what's really interesting? It was published on June 3rd, 2003. June 3rd is the feast day of the Ugandan martyrs. And if you're wondering who those were, Go look at the show from last week where we detailed the Ugandan martyrs who withstood the attempts of the king at the time to enter into homosexual relations with him. And for that, they were killed. You got to check out the link to the full document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith headed up at the time by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who then of course became Pope Benedict XVI. What is truly alarming about all this is that there was so little pushback from church authorities regarding the statements by Pope Francis, which contravene constant church teaching, unchangeable church teaching. Thankfully, we had some pushback. There was New York theologian, Father Gerald Murray, who everybody knows from EWTN. He spoke on this issue at, on Raymond Royer's show on EWTN. Have a listen.
2: Sodomy is a sin. The misuse of the sexual organs uh, to seek venereal pleasure uh, in a way that's not uh, natural intercourse between a husband and a wife, that's what the sin is. It's clearly taught in the Bible and the natural law, sodomy is a mortal sin. Now, laws against sodomy are designed to warn people not to commit that sin and to protect society where if that sin were tolerated, it might become more widespread. Uh, You know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible is a warning to us. Now, the Pope, unfortunately, is becoming an advocate of decriminalization of anti-sodomy laws. And it's hard to believe that we would say that. In that same interview, uh, he quotes, he's quoted as saying that, you know, he knows African bishops are against changing those laws. He said they have to undergo a process of conversion. And I'm shaking my head. The people have to undergo conversion of those who want to commit sodomy, not the bishops who are telling them, this is a sin, it's wrong, and the state should not legitimize it. So, you know, what is the basis where you would decriminalize sodomy? Do people have a right to commit sodomy? Is this somehow now a human right? That's what the left claims. The Catholic Church doesn't say that. Now, what about people who engage in prostitution? They're going to say, well, I, I don't like being stigmatized by laws that criminalize prostitution. Incest is against the law. People might say, well, that's consensual among adults. Why can't they do it? So a lot of confusion here. You know, I've worked with Courage over the years, and one of the most discouraging things that Courage members talk about is when the hierarchy doesn't teach the truth in a clear and un- understandable way. I mean, who's going to be happy with this decriminalization of sodomy? It's not that people who support church teaching. They're, they're stunned. The Pope, if anything, should be saying, laws that lead people into sin should never become law."
0: But did we hear from any bishops? even one? Well, yes, we did actually. We heard from Tyler, Texas Bishop Joseph Strickland. He tweeted about a video of a certain priest and by the name of Father Jason Sharon. Father Jason is known, of course, to us at lifesight, and he does amazing work, very courageous and Father Sharon. Called out Pope Francis personally. Bishop Strickland, in his tweet uh, pointing out or pointing to the video response from Father Sharon, said this. This is the words of Bishop Strickland commenting on what Father Jason Sharon said. And, and I quote This priest speaks truth that needs to be shared. Pray for Pope Francis, pray for the church, pray for our nation, and pray for the world pray 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 and live the truth end quote those were the words again of bishop joseph strickland regarding what father jason sharon said and i want you to watch a couple clips from father sharon's video and you'll see why bishop strickland's words are so strong
2: have a look i say this to you know my father in christ my naked father in christ maybe like a drunken noah for the sake of your own dignity, the dignity of your office, is to repent from this insanity, Pope Francis, and preach the gospel, calling all people to repentance. Yet, what we have here is the Holy Father, Pope Francis, going into these nations and speaking, not about the gospel so much, as about urging these people to change their, their, their code of civil law to reflect the zeitgeist. Who do you belong to, Francis? Do you belong to Christ? Or do you belong to Sodom?
0: Let's get back to Africa. What I truly wish is that the Pope would have learned from the Africans about their rationale for the defense of anti-Sodomy lies. Why the insistence on only accepting the so-called wisdom of the West? Is there no room in the Pope's heart for the truth coming from Africa? I thought it's all about listening to indigenous peoples. I thought that's where we were. Apparently not. Here is what the Pope needs to hear. This most impressive lawyer is named Charles Kanjama. And let me introduce... Well, in fact, let him introduce himself.
1: So my name is Charles Kanjama. I'm an advocate of the High Court of Kenya, which means I'm a lawyer. I'm also a senior counsel, which means I've been recognized as a lawyer who has been practicing law for a number of years. I happen to currently also be the chair of the Kenya Christian Professionals Forum, which is a, an ecumenical a group that brings together Christians from different denominations, Catholics, evangelicals, and Protestants, and different professional groups. And we advocate for similar values in the area of life, family, and religious freedom. I'm also a managing partner of MUMA and Kanjama Advocates, which is uh, this law firm where we are today.
0: And now I want you to strap in and get ready to learn. This is the lesson Pope Francis and all of the West needs from Africa enjoy if you can tell us what are the anti sodomy laws in kenya because we've heard all sorts of stories of you know
1: the horror of such things and what is it actually what is it really on the books so the commonwealth countries in africa all have similar anti sodomy legislation because uh, we we passed uh, from model statutes And fundamentally, our anti-sodomy laws are found in the Penal Code, and they prohibit three things, uh, which I can call uh, sodomy, uh, burglary, and bestiality in the same provision. So it basically means anyone who engages in anal sex, uh, it is considered a criminal offense, and anyone who engages in bestiality. So anal sex is prohibited. That is buggery. It uh, matters not whether it is uh, man on man or man on woman. And then uh, sodomy is man on man. So that is a prohibition. It is found in the penal code. Uh, occasionally, there are few people who are prosecuted uh, in the magistrates courts, not uh, many. But the effect of those sodomy laws, which are in Kenya and in many other countries in Africa, is that uh, people who engage in sodomy do it like um, below uh, the scene. They they don't come out publicly about it uh, because if you do it in a public way, if you try to promote homosexuality, then you can fall afoul of the law. So that is the sodomy law in Kenya. Okay, so the impression that you get in the
0: West is that uh, these are death penalty, and they are only focused on gays. So what you're saying is, so even this behavior from man to woman uh, is is prohibited by the law. Um, when I was in Uganda, speaking, also I understood also that it it affects things like pornography uh, and and things like that, all the kind
1: of um, sexual perversions that would harm the state is that the case here in Kenya as well so what happened in Uganda is that because there was a strong reaction against uh, the gay lobby which was promoting the homosexual agenda in Uganda they tried to pass an additional law to strengthen the the old law that was uh, passed during the colonial period, which has been retained in our books, even post-colonial, because Kenyans and most people in Africa are opposed to sodomy. So in in Uganda, they passed a new law, and that law uh, caused a a lot of reaction in the West. And and that new law has therefore added supplemental issues. In Kenya, what happens is that we have our laws against morality, morality in two uh, legal provisions. One is the penal code, which has the laws against homosexuality and uh, a few other sexual perversions. And then we have the Sexual Offenses Act. So the Sexual Offenses Act deals with majority of the sexual offenses. It did not interfere with the with the laws on homosexuality, which remain in our penal code. But under our Sexual Offenses Act, of course, things like prostitution, sexual trafficking, even sexual harassment are criminalized in our Sexual Offenses Act. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a case that was filed in the High Court in Kenya uh, to declare the provisions of our law that prohibit uh, sodomy to be unconstitutional. Because in Kenya, we enacted a new constitution in 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Constitution of Kenya has the standard anti-discrimination a clause which says you shall not discriminate on the ground of sex race ethnicity and so on and uh, one of the arguments that was used is that the anti sodomy laws were against our constitution and uh, there was an attempt by the petitioners to make reference to the south african law because in south africa the constitution prohibits uh, discrimination on the ground of sexual orientation Mm -hmm. I was representing Kenya Christian Professionals Forum in that case and we successfully argued before the High Court in Kenya that our uh, constitutional provision on anti-discrimination does not include sexual orientation as a ground Mm -hmm. and we even uh, produced evidence before the court that in 2010, 2009, 2010, there is very strong anti-homosexuality sentiment in the Kenyan uh, public, among the Kenyan public, and it was uh, very deliberate that the Kenyan constitution did not include that as a as a ground upon which you cannot discriminate. In fact, in, our, in a different provision of our constitution which deals with marriage, there's a specific provision that says marriage is between a man and a woman of the opposite sex. So we, we entrench in our constitution heterosexual marriage, and that was a way of sending a signal that we do not support uh, sodomitical relationships of any kind. So the High Court agreed with this argument and reaffirmed uh, the holding that our constitutional prohibition of of, uh, anti-sodomy is valid. Uh, The laws do not uh, enact death penalty. It is just a, a maximum criminal Penalty could be imprisonment maximum for seven years, but seldom would you find someone being imprisoned. Ordinarily, those who are found uh, guilty are fined, and that is the end of the story. But uh, the pro- pro- provision is there and it is uh, required to kind of like push back against the gay lobby, which otherwise would be in our face as they're in the face of people in the West mm-hmm. uh, in all kinds of areas. What is that? pressure that you've seen from the West in terms, uh, in in order to get Africa to succumb to the same agenda, which is totally overrun in the West. So the first is financial pressure. Uh, there's financial pressure when Tony Blair was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, when Bill Clinton was the President of the United States. And from that time, which is the 1990s, there's been very strong financial pressure. African countries normally receive aid from the, Wade, uh, from the West, foreign aid of one kind or the other. And so the aid would be attached to a string of conditions, including changing the laws on homosexuality. There's ideological pressure. Uh, from various sources uh, because those who are saying change your laws believe that we should change our laws. Uh, Even to bring in investment sometimes they put this kind of pressure on us. When African countries go to international human rights committees to present their uh, reports which are presented maybe every five years or every seven years or every three years, they keep being told that these laws are backward that uh, you need to be open to people who are Uh, same-sex, you need to allow civil unions, uh, consider same-sex marriage, do not uh, retain these anti-sodomy laws in your books. So that pressure is there of all kinds, and it is a pressure of trying to bash uh, the African countries that have these laws. Uh, The the pressure comes in all shapes and sizes, but uh, we have seen that the African countries have on many occasions pushed back and said uh, this is a a form of cultural imperialism where you're trying to impose a culture that has uh, settled and, and taken root in the West here, even though our people have different sentiments. Of course, there's also the pressure through Hollywood and the media, of trying to normalize this kind of like uh, behavior or practice. And that uh, pressure that comes through Hollywood is more effective because it is more insidious. It comes uh, through uh, forms of communication and so on to make people more comfortable with this lifestyle. And and definitely the attitudes to homosexuality have begun changing among the youth and uh, those who are more educated because they are more accepting of this kind of thing. They're saying, well, it's happening in the West. What is so bad about it? But still, uh, when we did an opinion survey a few years back, we found that the uh, opposition to sodomy or homosexuality was well above 95%. It was maybe about 97% in Kenya. This was a few years ago. So I guess every year, maybe they they keep uh, changing the attitudes by 1% or 2% at a time. And and uh, so it is a question of uh, determining whether where the culture will go. Mm-hmm. But for right now, our laws align to the cultural opinions of the majority, supermajority of Kenyans. One of the things
0: that just happened on January 25th, uh, Pope Francis gave an interview uh, in which he said that he, he actually specifically referred to the bishops of Africa needing a conversion because they are backing these anti-sodomy laws. He talked about how even the church must sort of fight these laws. Uh, You know, that that was pretty severe. He then went to Africa and just returned from Africa. And on his return flight, he had this statement again. He was asked by one of the reporters. But this one was even, it was very interesting because it had... Justin Welby the head of the or the at least the lead bishop of the Anglican Church as well as the head of the Church of Scotland now both those churches allow for in the case of the Church of Scotland homosexual marriages in their churches so-called marriages of course but also the head of the, the Church of England allows for blessings of homosexual unions in their churches and so those are very disparate places from where the Catholic Church is or ever could be however in the context of a joint press co- in-air press conference, Pope Francis was asked about and talked about again such laws uh, being an injustice, again about uh, the need to fight them. Didn't repeat, thanks be to God, the, the need for the African bishops to convert, but he's just coming from there um, and making this statement. Didn't say it while he was on the ground, as far as I could understand, but um, what do you make of that? And because, as far as I can see... The Catholic bishops in Africa provide an amazing support for the truths, the Christian truths on the family, which happen to be the same as the African values on the family. And so
1: here we are in a a situation of grave confusion. What do you make of what was said? First of all, I'm aware that uh, the catechism of the Catholic Church has a point that uh, talks about uh, not discriminating to people because of uh, same-sex attraction or orientation. Uh, and uh, I'm also aware that the Catholic Church tends to distinguish between uh, same-sex orientation or attraction. They, they even use a phrase, deep-seated same-sex attraction and same-sex behavior. And same-sex orientation or attraction could be a condition. And, and same-sex behavior is an action. And it is the behavior that could either be a sin or a crime. So that uh, my understanding has always been that when there's discussion about uh, non-discrimination, it means if somebody requires health care, don't deny them health care because of one thing or the other. For me, it's very clear that a non-discrimination means... That even if somebody has just committed murder, they have just committed rape, they have committed robbery with violence, and they are injured, they need health care. They should be given health care. If they need uh, education, they should be given education. If they need shelter, they should be given shelter. It doesn't mean that non-discrimination is the same thing as non-penalization. Because if you are to use that logic, it would mean you cannot have any penal statute because then you'd be accused of discriminating against someone and going against their human dignity. Now, the second point I'd like to make is that uh, it is not only Pope Francis, uh, I'm aware, uh, in, in the Vatican and in the last, say, 30 years in the tradition of the Catholic Church, who has expressed a kind of like an opinion as to the prudential decision of having uh, sodom, anti-sodomy laws in the statute books, and, and I think um, he's entitled to express his his uh, view as a prudential matter and is not the first one. I, I think there must even have been one of the previous popes who may have expressed something or at least one of the heads of one of the congregations. And there's a, there's a document or a statement that was issued about what is the more prudential uh, cause of action uh, in this issue. Uh, my feeling, though, is that now, this is a matter that relates to political prudence as opposed to a doctrine. A doctrine are matters where all uh, Catholics, for example, are required to hold when there is a, a teaching either that is ex cathedra by the Pope or long held a, a kind of like position with the sensus fide or the sense of the faithful. And then there is the prudential matters where you apply the teaching of the church to specific situations. And, and I would say that in the West where uh, homosexuality as a, as a practice or a way of life has become very widespread, it may be the prudential outcome is uh, to depenalize or to decriminalize. In the same way, in Africa, polygamy is very widespread and it is not widespread in the West. And uh, all over Africa, polygamy is legal So uh, if you're in the West, you're not advocate for legalization of polygamy. So it's, it's a prudential decision that, look, this thing goes against the dignity of women. Let's not have polygamy legal in the West. And it is actually very good for the West. And in Africa, we've said this thing of, Uh, sodomy goes against the dignity of the human person, let's not have it legal. And if there were 10% of the people in the country who are practicing sodomy, then it becomes impractical to keep it criminal because it means you have to lock up 10% of the population. But for as long as those who are practicing this thing are kept to a manageable number, it is possible for the bishops and even well-meaning Catholics in Africa to say that, no, we think this law serves a useful public purpose so that uh, in conclusion what I would say is that uh, the Pope is acting with uh, good faith and good intentions based on his experience in Latin America and in Europe. It would be so great if he gave an ear to uh, the bishops and the Catholics in in Africa to explain to him why this is a prudential a determination that they have made that uh, having these laws in the books is actually for the good of our society and 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 of course the catholic church has always been conscious of the fact that uh, the application of the doctrine to different cultures requires manifestation of cultural sensitivities, enculturation. In Africa in 1994, we had an African synod where the bishops were reflecting on how to enculturate the faith within the continent. And that is how the missionaries were successful when they came to preach the faith in Africa because they didn't just uh, ask us to reject all of our cultural traditions. They said the ones that are clearly opposed to the faith you may need to change them. That's why uh, those who became Christian rejected polygamy, even though others are still engaged in polygamy. But if, if uh, the kind of like the strong hammer of, of uh, getting rid of all our culture, uh, cultural traditions is applied, it might damage actually the acceptance of the faith. So I think that is an area which would have been uh, wiser, in my view, as a, as a, as a Christian if the Pope uh, had an opportunity to listen to the Catholic bishops or the, the Christians, including the Catholic Christians in Africa to understand why are our laws the way they are. Uh, I'll also say something else, which I can go beyond that and say that myself, I've studied law, I've studied philosophy, uh, I've studied uh, the issue of the slippery slope. I have read quite a bit the different arguments on this issue of sodomy. And I'm convinced that uh, if uh, one acknowledges and recognizes that uh, you cannot criminalize uh, sodomy, if you accept that as a point that is not open to discussion, there is unfortunately no other point where you can logically put a stop to the expansion of the philosophy and the practice of sodomy throughout the society. And that is why when in 1994, I think it was 1994, 1993, Bill Clinton supported the Defense of Marriage Act in the the U.S., it was considered a consensus position of both liberals and conservatives that marriage is for... A man, one man, and one woman that will allow same-sex relations, but we can defend marriage. Uh, But uh, what happened over the last 20, 25 years is that it has been proven that fundamentally you can't. The moment you allow uh, homosexuality to flourish in the society, there is nothing that you can reserve for heterosexuals a marriage or anything else that you consider good for the society, without those who are homosexual also demanding the same treatment. So that uh, it's like the issue of abortion. If you don't accept that life begins at conception, there's no other place where you can make a strong and solid argument that life begins at this point. So, so the only fundamental way you can defend life is by asserting life begins at conception. The only fundamental way you can protect society against the continued encroachment of homosexuality is to say that homosexuality is fundamentally harmful to the good of society. And if society decides to criminalize, they're entitled to do it. One of the ways in which the West
0: lost the battle on the family issue was over the issue of love. Um, In fact, they said, you know, these two guys love one another, how come you don't let them love one another? They are, um, you know, you say
1: marriage is a good thing. We agree, marriage is a good thing, we want it. What's what's your response to that? I always say that the problem fundamentally began in 1867, uh, 155 years ago, when uh, John Stuart Mill wrote uh, that uh, pamphlet or book, booklet on liberty, and came up with this uh, idea that uh, what two people do uh, alone in private? What is the business of the state getting involved in that issue? It doesn't harm anyone else. If they want to harm themselves, that's their business. So uh, that philosophy of John Stuart Mill is what led to the thinking of the Wolfenden Committee in the United Kingdom in the 1950s is what led to the thinking in the United States Supreme Court when they legalized homosexuality through, the, uh, through various decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, that logic is that what people do alone in private Doesn't hurt you, it's not your business. And I think the history of the West over the last 50 years has proven John Stuart Mill wrong. It's actually uh, a fact now demonstrable that what two people do when they lock the bedroom alone in their room affects the rest of society. And you see, for us in Africa, we have a very strong uh, understanding of the interconnection between the person and community. In fact, the concept of Ubuntu which is part of African philosophy and jurisprudence, uh, can be summarized with that phrase that I am because we are, and we are because I am. So I may do something privately in my own house, even in my thoughts, and it affects the whole community. So it is because of that unconscious acceptance of John Stuart Mill's philosophy that uh, people feel that when two people do their thing in private, even if it's a sin, even if it is something that might be harmful to themselves, the rest of society has no business getting involved unless there's physical violence. That's why even in the West, the only attempt to to kind of like push back against homosexualities to say that it is affecting children. Mm -hmm. It's like the the boundary has been put at when you are below 18, we have a right to defend you. But the truth is that it affects adults as well as children and grooming can be done of adults as well as children. So for us in Africa, we understand that that source of corruption that may start with two people in private affects the rest of society. So what is happening in the West is that those two people in private once they do their deed, they start looking for other partners. And the more partners they can get, the better. They, they feel they are being discriminated against. They want to talk about their life story. They want to explain it to children. They want to change the curriculum. They want to change everything. So there is a continuous crisis because uh, in our view in Africa, the West feels that you can't interfere with what a person decides to do unless you can show directly a physical injury to yourself. That is John Stuart Mill. As we have a different philosophy, and and my hope is that the time will come when this Ubuntu philosophy, which is very deep and profound, I think it is a way of kind of like combining the genius of the West, which is the liberal genius about the greatness of the individual, and the genius of the East, which tends to focus on the community. As in Africa, we focus on harmonizing the two. We recognize the power of the individual, Uh, which has driven the progress in the West, capitalism, all those things. And you also recognize that the individual uh, is powerful because they are part of a community. And the individual cannot be allowed to subvert uh, the common good uh, just because they say that there's no clear connection. The connection has been established.